to say that uh, shortly after I realized that you were in transition, uh, I had an inter I had an interview with uh, with Pastor Dan, and uh, as I listened to him, first of all, I appreciated his humble spirit, which was uh, wherever God leads, that is good with me, and uh, I am content with that. Uh, the other, the other part of that interview that uh, spoke to me was, uh, I saw in him a person who had a great deal of energy, and who wanted it, wanted the opportunity to release it uh, for for the Church of Jesus Christ. And as I am here this morning, uh, I see some of that energy, and uh, I see some of that. Let's go and uh, move forward. So it is a delight for me to be with you this morning. Um, electronic stuff is good when it works. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to be with this group of people who have come to worship you, who have come to be part of this installation of a new pastor, and as we look at your word and reflect on it, and as we think about the future, I pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're a Maple Leaf fan, (laughs) I see some are leaving. Hope has replaced despair. You might even wear a maple leaf cap in public. I have a story around that. When my oldest boy was little, Cindy went and bought him a maple leaf sweater. And I said to her, we need to take it back. (laughs) It's an embarrassment. (laughs) He cannot wear it. And so she went and got a Montreal Canadian fan. I think it was before the Ottawa Senators. Can I just interrupt you, sir? Sorry. This is the sermon, right? Yes. Okay. Then, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. You are now dismissed. Go to children's. Have a great time. Sorry. It's all right. Let's welcome Peter Rigby again. <laughs> You're clapping even though you think that I might be a Leaf fan. (laughs) You're very gracious people. Continuing on my Leaf, the Leafs have great expectations for the new season. Then comes Mike Babcock, their coach, with a dose of reality. The headline of the Kingston Week Standard read, Leaf Brass Urges Caution. Here's the reality. Last year, They got 95 points, which was a 26-point jump from the year before. But it was only one point ahead of the Lightnings and the Islanders, who both missed the playoffs. Second, Babcock said, if you go through all the teams in the East and look at the changes they've made, you say they are better. Or to put it another way, every team, the Leafs, will face in this new season has improved. One player said, everyone starts the year at the same point, 
It doesn't matter how much buzz or hype or positivity you have around your group, you have to go out there and prove it on ice. A pastoral change represents a new season. There's anticipation, there's a positive forward look, new possibilities are imagined, the flame of hope burns bright. But a question emerges as you enter into a new season with Pastor Dan. What does a better season look like? For sports teams, the answer is clear. A better season is about winning more games, and the point system keeps track. Ambiguities about results is minimal. How does leadership and a congregation determine a point system? The place to begin is your purpose statement on the web page. Your purpose is to be transformed people living transformed lives that glorify God and reveal him to others. And uh, I also heard those three words over and over again, to know and grow and show. And your statement captures our calling as followers of Jesus. Jesus, by the authority given to him from the Father, commanded his followers at the time of his ascension to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. A winning season, as I look at your calling from Jesus and as I look at your purpose statement, it's about being a disciple of Christ, living out what it means to be a disciple, and seeing others become disciples of Jesus. I'm not here to speak about metrics, except it's valuable to know if you're accomplishing what you set out to do. What does success look like for the Cornerstone uh, Wesleyan Church in North Gore? And all of this relates to understanding what a new season with Pastor Don, uh, Pastor Pastor Dan, (laughs) what Pastor Dan looks like. This morning, what I want to do is I want to point to two scriptures that speak to questions of what it means to be transformed people living transformed lives that glorify God and reveal them to others. The first scripture is a statement of Jesus' desire for the local congregation. You could say it is his prayer for Cornerstone Wesleyan Church, and it comes from John 17. Let's read it together. My prayer is not for them alone. You can join me in this if it's up there. Whoops, sorry. Right, let's read it together. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Transformed communities, as revealed through Jesus' prayer, is oneness. And it's a oneness that's comparable to the oneness that Jesus experienced with his Father. You might ask, did Jesus really mean what he was praying? You know, sometimes we pray, and unfortunately, sometimes they're just words. If Jesus answered our prayers, we would be shocked. So we, we can ask, did Jesus really mean what he was praying? Uh, or was he just kind of saying words? Well, I'd like you to think of Jesus' requests in terms of marriage or your family. God's statement about marriage is that husband and wife would become one flesh. I don't know about you, but living out into the reality of oneness is not an easy task. Any people willing to testify to that? That it's, that it's not an easy task? Uh, if you're sitting beside the person that you're trying to end there, you can just sneak your hand up a little bit like this so they don't see it. On May 26, Cindy and I were able to state we've been married for 44 years. We also can state we are still on a learning curve. A learning curve of better communication, of understanding expectations, of appreciating our differences, of exercising forgiveness, of honest expression, and not blaming one another when things go wrong. Any of you ever wrestle with that kind of stuff in your, in your marriage? It's difficult to live out what it means to be one in our families. Yet Jesus wants to see oneness lived out in the local congregation. And the model that he's using for oneness is the oneness that he and his heavenly father are experiencing. Experience would suggest the request is impossible. But let's hear Jesus' word in regard to the possibility of our salvation. The disciples in Matthew 19 are flabbergasted by the answer that he gives to a person, and they say, well, who can be saved if this person can't be saved? And Jesus' answer was, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I was glad you sang the course about the impossibility, that God's able to do the impossibility. Jesus' bold request for oneness among his people is based on his understanding that with God, all things are possible, even oneness in a congregation. Amen? Amen. The unity for which Jesus prayed is possible because of the next phrase. At the end of verse 21, he says, May they also be in us. Our unity is not based simply on me liking you or working hard to get along with you. The unity that Jesus desires is a unity based on the fact that if we are believers in Christ, then Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, connects us. The Holy Spirit is in me, he's in you, and through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we are one. 
So it's not just Jesus and I, it's Jesus and we. The Holy Spirit is living in us, and he connects us to one another. Let me give you an example from my marriage of how the connection works in our lives. In conflict, especially with my wife, I have a tendency to shut down, or in the past, even leave the conflict in less than a positive way. Thankfully, over 44 years of marriage, I've made progress. But in order to help me understand all of this, the Lord put us through an incident this week (laughs) where I had to relive some of the stuff I'm talking about. But here is a situation that happened more than once. This week, actually. I'm in my office preparing a sermon, trying to work through the scriptures, and as I'm preparing, the Holy Spirit is saying to me, "Uh, Peter, you can't preach this sermon if you don't go and ask forgiveness from Cindy. And usually I resist. And then finally I say, Okay, and I go, and I talk to Cindy, and I ask forgiveness. The decision to go to Cindy and work things out is not because I'm a good guy. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit within me. Left on my own devices, I tend towards silent anger. I harden my heart, and I go cold, and I shrug my shoulders, and I say, forget it. That's different than the other side of those who yell and scream, but that's my tendency. And I believe that I can say today, I'm still married because of the work of the Holy Spirit within me, calling me back from my natural destructive tendencies in relationships. So verse 23 continues with the thought, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. Oneness has to do with our connection to Jesus, the Holy Spirit at work within us. It's not something that we can maintain without this connection that's made possible because Jesus is living within us. He is the one through the Holy Spirit who takes unhealthy tendencies and calls us to new ways of relating. Why is all this important? The the reason is repeated twice. First, in verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me Then in verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See how important our unity and our oneness is? It's a testimony. It's under your word show to the world. The world is looking for community. It's looking for people who love one another. And the church has been called by Jesus to be that community. And increasingly, it's becoming apparent that if the Christian faith is going to have a positive influence, 
It's because of who we are. Uh, it's because we have learned to love one another. And we're choosing to work together for the sake of the kingdom. An important characteristic of transformed people living transformed lives who wish to reveal Jesus to others is unity or oneness. Jesus wants this kind of transformation. And we've been equipped through Jesus to experience unity. But when unity is challenged and differences occur, how well do we do? There's a poster that I saw many years ago that I love, and it's a picture of a cat that's purring. And the cat says, I will purr as long as you stroke my fur the right way. (laughs) It's easy to get along when we agree. But how do we deal with differences? In the life of a church, we can expect difficult situations to occur. Amen? The joy of life is that when one problem gets solved, there's another one coming down the road. Can you rejoice? (laughs) E. Stanley Jones said, it's these difficulties in life that help us to continue to grow and mature in Christ. And before E. Stanley Jones, there was a guy named James, the half-brother of Jesus, who said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't think I've gotten there yet. But that's what James says to us. Periods of stress relate to conflict over priorities, direction, proposed changes, budget issues, disagreement with leaders, and a breakdown in relationship between two people, which can begin to involve a number of people who start to take sides, and then things go from bad to worse, or using hurricane language, the storm begins to gather strength. Now, from what I've heard this morning, in terms of what the direction that you're wanting to go, I've heard all kinds of situations where you can disagree. Because anytime you're moving forward, there's always questions, there's always concerns. What's important to realize, by the way, I don't want to be negative. When we were going into a building campaign in, in uh, Kingston, I said, well, I want you to know that Now that we're doing this, it's going to be very hard because we're going to get to know one another a little better. (laughs) And the more we get to know one another, it seems the more we find reasons to disagree. Or as soon as you start to move, you find reasons to disagree. So what's important to realize when periods of stress occur is that very few know the whole story. There are issues that we may not be aware of. There are interpretations of conversations that are questionable and judgments of perceived motives and actions that are problematic. Have you ever been there? With this in mind, I take you to the second passage. It's from the letter to the Ephesians. And here Paul writes that for the sake of unity, there is an obligation and a posture 
we are to maintain as followers of Christ. So let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, let's read together. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jesus prayed for unity, and unity is possible because the Spirit of God is at work within us. Paul says, here is what we are to commit to as people who have the Spirit of God at work within us. So in a sense, what you can say is that through the Spirit of God, we are enabled to live in unity. Just like if I trained, I might be able to run a marathon because that is a capability that we might have. Or, using another example, if I used my mind and my body correctly, I could open a hymn book and play the piano. But it's not going to happen without training, without certain commitments. And in this passage, we have the ability to live in oneness, coming from Jesus' prayer for us, but we also have to exercise certain disciplines in our interactions with one another. We're capable, but if we don't exercise those disciplines, we're in trouble. So first, Paul appeals to the Ephesians to walk worthy of the calling they've received. Or here's an important part of what it means to live transformed lives. When I was, was growing up, walking worthy often was a, a featured list of things I shouldn't do. Anyone remember those days? There was a lot of things that I wasn't supposed to do. But somehow, sometimes, relationships got lost in the shuffle. But what we see in this passage is that walking worthy, the first thing that he's concerned about is our relationships. Maintaining healthy relationships is at the top of his list when he moves to the practical part of the letter of Ephesians. And what are the commitments to which Paul calls us? He says, first of all, to be completely humble. And to be humble is to acknowledge the opinions and judgments we have formed may not represent the whole truth. Can you believe that? That that somehow the things that we think and understand are not the whole truth? Humility is contrasted with pride, which tends to elevate one's own perspective and understanding without allowing space for a difference of opinion. If we look at the example of Jesus, we see he let go of his rights in obedience to his Father for a greater good. And we're called to let go of our own judgments and opinions, believing that maybe we don't have it all together and someone else might have a grain of truth that's worthwhile, that's worth listening to. Humility releases us of our need to be right or to win or to have our own way. Many of you have probably heard the expression, "Do do you want to be right or married? And in many Conflicts, 
they turn into a lose-win. Humility can back away from that way of thinking. And when we allow humility to rule, our tone and our interactions change. To be completely humble also allows for gentleness. When we free ourselves from the need to dominate the other person, then it's easier in our relationships to be gentle with our spouse or our friend or a leader or another person in the church. Humility and gentleness go together, and they enable us to listen better to one another. And then Paul calls us to patience and connects patience with bearing or putting up with one another in love. I really, every time I come across that phrase, I just love it. Now, why would Paul put that there? Probably because he understands it is hard to put up with certain people. And maybe he was one of those people it was hard to put up with. <laughs> so he understands that reality. And, uh, and the reason is related to the fact that we are imperfect. In stressful situations, imperfects, imperfections and failures rise to the top. And our tendency is to become provoked and often self-righteous. We look at what the other person is doing and we forget the real issues and we begin to attack the person. And at the same time, we're willing to st- if we're willing to step back a little bit, we may see our behavior is less than stellar and the people dealing with us will need to be patient and put up with us. Our patience is to be clothed in love. Love provides the basis for patience. The very nature of love is patience and kindness and honor for others and respect and gentleness. Love is not characterized by envy or pride or an insistence on getting one's own way or keeping a record of the other person's failures. When dealing with stressful situations, it's quite natural to say, I've been patient long enough. Anyone ever said that? Now, when I get to that place, here's the question I ask myself. How patient has God been with me? How many times has he had to put up with my failures and my foibles and sometimes my stupidity? When I ponder on these questions, I give thanks for God's patience. It also enables me to be more willing to extend patience to others. I want you to know that this realization changed my approach to my children. As parents, it's pretty easy, and I hear it more than once, when correcting our children to say, don't you ever do that again. Anyone ever said that? (laughs) How well does it work? (laughs) One day I realized, man, I'm asking something of my children that... uh, I'm glad God doesn't ask of me necessarily, or at least he's patient enough to forgive me when I fail. Because frequently we have failed in the same way, in the same area of weakness, 
And when we come to God, we want his forgiveness and his patience and his love and his encouragement. We are called to have the same patience and bear with one another as followers of Christ in the same way that our Heavenly Father has patiently loved us even when we repeatedly fail. So the Apostle Paul urges us to be completely humble, gentle, and patiently put up with one another in love. To do so through the Spirit of God at work within us will go a long way to help us fulfill Jesus' desire for his church. Now, does that mean we don't deal with problems? Of course not. It means we deal with problems, however, in a way that is worthy of our calling as followers of Christ. It means that we work through situations with humility and gentleness, patiently putting up with one another in love. And we do so in order that we can resolve issues in a way that it is possible to preserve the unity of the church. And through our unity and love for one another, others will begin to believe us when we say that God sent Jesus and that they are loved by God. Under Pastor Don, you're beginning a new season. A new season speaks of promise and potential, but the promise and potential is not automatic. We've all heard about honeymoons. And then at the, after honeymoons, there's reality. Also, you need to know that with all the promise of the Leafs and the Senators and the Montreal Canadiens and whoever else you're cheering for, those players are rigorously training. They are learning systems. And they're probably doing uh, team building so that they can have strong relationships as they enter into the season. And as churches and as congregations, we need to recognize that oneness is not automatic. Moving ahead is not automatic. It takes hard work on our part. And Jesus' prayer for oneness, based on relationship with him, demands that each of us, first of all, stay connected with him. It's through his spirit at work within us that we have the inner grace to love the way we've been loved by God. So let me ask you this. What are the habits and disciplines you have put in place to stay connected? How are you feeding your soul? It's an important question. How are you feeding your soul on a regular basis? Because if you're not feeding your soul, it is hard. It's hard anyways. But we need the Spirit of God at work within us to have that kind of oneness that he calls us to. As we think about unity, we also need to look at the state of our relationships. Are there people from whom you should ask forgiveness? Think about that. Because unity has to deal with dealing with issues that have occurred in the past. Are there those you need to forgive? Unforgiveness leads to resentment and bitterness. And these negative emotions 
attack our spiritual health and the wellness of God's church. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, today is a good time to let go. Are you willing to let go for the sake of your own spiritual health and the health of God's church? Here's some questions for further reflection. In relationship to humility, are you able to back away from your judgments and opinions and lay them before your Heavenly Father for His evaluation? Second, in your interactions with one another, have you allowed fear or anger or pride to impair your ability to interact with gentleness? If you have children, you may notice how some of your relationships to their behavior, your, your reactions to their behavior, comes out of fear or anger. Ever notice that? For me, it was fear of not, that I wasn't going to raise Christ-following responsible children. And fear influenced the way I interacted with my youngest child. I saw too much of me in him. And I want him to avoid all the mistakes that I made growing up. And thankfully, God is gracious. But my fears stressed our relationship. So I tell people that's why he became a psychologist, so he could figure out his dad. (laughs) But fear and anger and a lot of things work in those relationships that we have, and we need to be able to identify them and ask, okay, are my reactions Appropriate. And third, are you allowing God's patience towards you to become a model as you interact with others? It does not take much to imagine the joy our Heavenly Father feels when he looks down and he sees people struggling with difficult situations but who are able to love, to be humble, to be gentle and to patiently bear with one another until they come out on the other end unified. Our Heavenly Father smiles. And let me suggest to you that is a form of worship. A form of worship is to work through difficult situations and come out unified as you move the kingdom ahead. And it brings a smile to our Father's face. The prayer Jesus prayed for his disciples, he continues to pray for his people. He loves us. He's interceding for us so that we can all be what he's called us to be. And as you enter this new season of ministry with Pastor Dan, may your love for him and your love for one another be an attractive witness that reveals God to others. Amen.